it is definitely a privilege to be here. Um, as Doris had mentioned, we're, uh, we're do doing great over in Romania right now. Uh, funny thing happened on the way to Canada. Uh, I arrived in Canada, and then we went to uh, bury my mom up in the Yukon Territory, and I had a heart attack on the plane going there. So our life as missionaries changes each and every day, and our lives of each and every one of us can change each and every day. To give you an update, I seem to be fine now. There was no blockage. It was a broken heart syndrome heart attack, which we used to call a stress heart attack. It's just as dangerous, but uh, it just means that I've got to stop caring for people. So <laughs> that ain't going to happen, so keep praying. One of the things that us missionaries love to do when we come back to Canada is when we come to church, we get to worship in English. <laughs> the worship was wonderful. Combined worship together is something that we get, but we also miss with our friends. The other thing we love is we love coming back to a church and not recognizing everybody. <laughs> that is a healthy church. Good. So normally when we come back, we get to talk all about the stuff that we're doing. Not today. Today you get to hear my personal testimony of God's redemption in my life. And, you know, when you hear someone's testimony, a lot of times it's like, well, this is who I was before Christ. Bad person. God came in, I was redeemed, and now I'm living good. Well, this is not one of those testimonies. This is a testimony of how, as a born-again Christian, I fell into sin, and yet God picked me up from the miry clay, put my feet upon a solid rock, and that's where I stand today, is on the solid rock of Jesus. I stand before you in my eyes as a broken vessel, repaired by God. So there's a technique in Japan where if a vessel or a clay pot has been broken, it's repaired with gold. And it becomes more valuable and in most cases more stronger. What I love about that image is I used to want to hide my flaws and my cracks. But I want people to see them at times and to see that it's God, the potter, who has repaired that and placed himself within me. So I do stand before you a broken vessel still, but repaired by God. And I'm in better shape than I was a long time ago. Okay, I had a great childhood. A bit lonely, a little bit like a Charlie Brown. And I had a friend that I didn't know who existed and has always looked out for me in my entire life. And of course we know that friend is Jesus. The Bible says in Jeremiah, before I formed you, I knew you. Now he's speaking of Jeremiah, but God forms all of us. So before he formed each and every one of you, he knew you. And he destined you to do something. That's his heart. Our God is in the business of changing hearts. That's what he's after. He is after your heart here today. He's after your family's heart. He's after your co-worker's heart. I met that friend when I was 18, and my life changed. I was working in a grocery store, and I had two born-again, spirit-filled, 1980 Pentecostal co-workers that worked with me. 
they were praying for me every day. If you do not know Jesus and someone is praying for you of that nature, give up. Because they won't shut up. I worked with them. I got frustrated because they knew the day that I was going to get saved. And finally I said, that's it. I don't want you to preach to me anymore. This is a work environment. And they promised that they wouldn't preach to me anymore. They lied. Actually, <clears throat> they didn't lie. They didn't preach to me. They preached to each other. <laughs> Every day, out loud, from across the room. Hey, Pam, did you know that Jesus died for you? Why, no, Charlie, tell me about it. <laughs> and I had to sit in the middle. Eventually, my walls broke down, which they knew. And I gave my heart to the Lord. I had a fulfilling life, but deep down had a fear of failure. The church we attended seemed to have a model that if you failed or fell into sin, as a Christian, you were disqualified. That's what I grew up in at the beginning of my very young age for theology. So there was always a fear that you could not be a Christian and fall into sin. If you did, you might as well leave the church and go somewhere else. So that fear stayed with me for a long time. Disqualified. It's a pretty tough word. We only hear about that when we hear about someone who's won an award, the Olympics, where they've had their medals stripped from them because they have done or chosen to do something that was wrong, that was cheating, that was underhanded. And they don't get requalified. Almost all those athletes that you know that have been stripped from medals, 95% of them have never got those medals back. That's not the case when it comes to God's kingdom. <clears throat> One of the things that uh, I found very, very difficult uh, in church is trying to explain to people what it's like to fall into sin, knowing God for many, many, many years. Doris and I were in the Yukon Territory, married for 16 years. We moved to Winnipeg for one year to do King's Commission or the Ironwood for one year. Well, we're still here. Three years ago, we moved to Romania. Romans 8.11 was a verse that I did not like. This verse was used against me many, many times by friends and by Christians. And that verse paraphrased is very simple. It says, if the same power that rose Christ from the dead lives within you, dot, 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 you cannot fall into sin or you cannot have this ailment uh, by some people's standards. The Bible is a wonderful book. It has many scriptures that are uplift, but scriptures are sharper than any two-edged sword. They can be used in both ways. But the Bible says to encourage one another and lift each other up, just as we are. In our early life, together, Doris and I have always felt that we would become what I consider an armor bearer. 
an armor bearer is someone who holds a king's armor. It doesn't have to be the head person, but has to make sure that the king's ministry is first, that he's protected. This translates into knowing that in our latter years, we would become a support couple for an already existing ministry. You don't always have to go out and start something new. There's many fantastic mission bases out there. We've got a couple of them represented here. And we've always believed that God required us to come alongside and do what we could so that ministry that was already out there fulfills even better. So that's why we moved out to Romania and now work alongside of Reinhardt and Darcy. Doris and I have been born again for 38 years. And I sometimes feel at this time that I'm like the Israelites that had a goal. They were going to the promised land. And I remember my, my distance, but if they walked right from where they started in Egypt to the promised land, it didn't take 40 years. They wandered around the desert for 40 years. I sometimes feel like I'm just entering the promised land now, that I am where God wants me to be at this time in my life right now. Proverbs 16.9 says, In our hearts we plan our course, but the Lord determines our steps. This is why I believe the Israelites wandered in the desert for 40 years. Every time the children of God made a poor decision that changed their plans, God had to redirect. Just like a GPS. We miss some place, and we get that little voice that says redirecting. We're going to take you on a little longer route, but you're eventually going to get there. The trouble is the Israelites made bad choices each and every day, so therefore they were redirected each and every day, and it took a long time to get where they were supposed to go. Good news is they got there. So I've made many poor decisions in my life that have changed my path. And I want to share with you the one decision that brought me to the brink of death. Roughly 15 years ago, when I was in Winnipeg here, I started to slowly replace God with alcohol. I call this having an ego. So it's an E-G-O. I'm easing God out. Not all of our sin is immediate strong, although many of them are, but alcohol and drugs is a very crafty disease. It sneaks in very slow, and it works its way up, and it eventually takes over. I do not blame the alcohol. I blame myself. Many people, and I'm jumping ahead right now, but I do want to explain one thing. Many people, when I say, do you believe that alcoholism or being an alcoholic is a sin or a disease? And almost all people that I know will say it's a sin. And I struggled with that at first because living through it, I knew that eventually, very quickly, it became a disease in my life. It was something that my body had to have and I would do whatever it took to have that. Because if you've ever seen anyone detox themselves, it's not pretty. And it can lead to death. But it starts out as sin. It was my choice. You'll hear many excuses if you talk to someone who has an alcohol or addiction problem, and the excuses are endless. 
but there is no excuse. It starts out as sin. I may get back to that a bit because I'm trying to follow my notes. So I'm sure that I might cross some people's theology a little bit uh, when I talk. If I do, that's okay. Just don't throw the whole message out. This is what I've walked through. And I'll trust you, in 38 years of being a Christian, my theology has changed slightly since the very beginning. Don't forget, if you ever saved in the 1980s, you were praying demons out of cornflakes because they would make noise in your bowl. I mean, you cast demons out of China, silverware, dogs, whatever, because that's what you had to do with that year. Right? Now we don't do that so much. But for changing theology... There's a story in the Bible that I absolutely love that is one of the things that I hold dear to my heart when it comes to theology, and that's in John chapter 9. Now, we're talking here about the blind man that Jesus healed. And basically, if you don't know the story, read it over carefully. But it starts out that the disciples are walking with Jesus, and they see a blind man. And it's like, hey, Rabbi, why is this man blind? It goes on, and Jesus says spits on the ground, makes mud, puts it in the man's eyes, and says, go wash in the pool of Shalom. Shalom. He goes and washes, and he can see. Now, don't forget, he didn't see Jesus, because he went away, and he came back. He wasn't asked to do anything but go and wash. Then came all the controversy. Well, why was this man healed? Was it because of the sins of his father? Maybe, maybe not. The Pharisee says, well, he couldn't have been healed because it was Sunday. And nobody can get healed on Sunday because that's against our theology. Other people said, well, it wasn't that man. It was somebody else that just looked like him. And the controversy went on and on till they were even calling his parents to and says, is this your son? Yes, it is. Was he blind at birth? Yes, he was. Did he get healed? Well, you're going to have to ask him. And then the man comes... And everyone's been bugging him and talking to him. And they said, so tell me about this man, Jesus. He says, I don't know. I think he's a prophet. And he said, what did you do? Or what did he do? He healed me. And they said, well, he couldn't have healed you because of this, 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 and this. Finally, the man gets frustrated. This is one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. He says, listen, guys, I don't know about your theology. I don't know about healing on a Sunday. I don't even know why he spit on the ground and rubbed it in my eyes. All I know is I was blind, and now I see. That's my life. I was a mess, and now I'm not. It's because of Jesus. Jesus wanted to get a hold of my heart. Jesus wanted to get a hold of that man's heart. It even says afterwards that Jesus sought him out, stood before him, and said, I am Jesus. I'm the one that healed you. And he says, well, what must I do to be saved? Well, great opportunity. I'm at this age where my glasses aren't quite where they're supposed to be. <laughs> Okay, so all I know is that I was blind, <laughs> and now I can see. Okay. There we go. Okay, so in my life, as I was easing God out, 
I was easing alcohol in. And I wish all these lights were on a dimmer switch because this is the best thing that I can think of. As my sin got progressively worse, I have control of the dimmer switch of God's power. See, God's power is always there. It's 100%. It doesn't change. But we can control that. We can dial that down. And it started off a little tweak. And the light or the power of God in my life got a little bit dimmer. And it sat there. And that progressed. Because the enemy does not stop working in our lives. Alcohol took over and soon became my God. And don't forget, I'm dealing with shame, pain, everything. I'm working for the church at Gateway. Shh, don't tell anybody at this time. And I hit it so well. I also had a medical condition that, uh, that I was able to, uh, to, to work in. People with addictions and alcoholics, we're the best liars in the world. I tell you, we can lie. Yeah. <laughs> Ask my wife, you know. They say, be honest with your doctor. They go to your doctor and he says, well, how often do you drink? Twice a week. You know, Monday to Wednesday, Thursday to Sunday. Right? That's the truth. We'll lie about anything. But your heart doesn't have to stop beating in order to die. At this point, the enemy really attacked. And I went down very fast. And he shot one of his darts directly into my heart. My wife endured this relationship for, I'll say, three years, but longer, I know, because it's gradual, but it did get worse. My relationship with God, I felt, was over. My relationship with Doris and the kids, I felt, was over. We feel we felt completely disqualified from anything that had to do with God and the future ministry that we had. What I didn't know is something more powerful was happening at that time. God, his children, all of them have not given up on me or Doris. People were praying. Our friends were praying. Our house group was praying. The church that knew of my situation were praying. Remember what I said when I first got saved? If someone's praying for you, give up, because they won't shut up, and they didn't, so give up. I hit a very ugly bottom. And knew that I had to get help. Because the next day, there would be a death. I want to give you a little stat about alcoholism. Did you know that the recovery rate for an alcoholic is 3%? So let's say we have 100 people in this room. If we were all alcoholics, only three of you would ever recover. The rest don't. Many die. Many choose to take their own lives. Many stop drinking but don't recover. Alcohol is a disease that grips. Do you know that James 1 verse 13 and 15 
I should have my Bible open for this one. But I just want to say, and I'll paraphrase this one, paraphrase. This is the verse that talks about sin leading to death. It talks about your desires bring forth from sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. And that means we start off with sin. Sin eats away and will take your life physically and emotionally. And that's what happened. But with God, all things are possible. God's after our hearts. God doesn't care about 3%. He cares about you. If you're struggling with anything, you know, it doesn't matter. He doesn't care what the stats are. You and him. And with God on your side, you win. It's all about your heart. Submitting to God. Submitting to one another. Letting God do the work. Now, please, if I'm coming across preachy and I'm preaching to anyone who may be an alcoholic in here, that's not what it is. I'm sharing my life. Because I'll guarantee you that some of you know somebody who's struggling with something. And if you don't, well, you've lived a really great life, and I applaud you. But this world is under attack. The young people are under attack. You know, in Romania... It is so open to be an alcoholic there that every morning we can get up at 7 o'clock, walk to the end of our street, and there's a little bar that has coffee and booze that's open at 7 or 6 o'clock. And there's a group of about six men at the end having their two-liter maintenance beer before they go to work. And these are not people who are hiding. Man, I hid everything I could possibly do here in Canada. But there, it's open. And some of those people would be a police officer, or a linesman, or the grocery store owner. It's just common there. I've got a friend whose dad is an alcoholic, and he told me that his entire village of 1,500 people, he doesn't know one other man his dad's age that is not addicted to alcohol. That's sad. There is prevalent. Here it's hidden. But if you bring things into the light, God can work at it. And trust me, even some of the information that you might glean from today may help you in talking to somebody. As I said, I don't blame anybody. My dad was an alcoholic. He started drinking at the same age I did. Same reasons, hidden at nighttime, easing God out. I don't blame it on, on the sin of the father. But I do know that because of his disease, I was predestined to have more of an addictive personality. Alcohol in my mom's family and my dad's family was about 90%. And that gene does get passed on. It does not mean that you will become addicted to something. It just means that there's a better chance that your body's more recognizable. God completely came into my life and into my heart again. When I finally submitted to him and to his power, I didn't care. I was ready to die. I didn't care who knew. Before that, it was always what if, what if, what if. Who's going to know what's going to happen to me? You don't care when you get to the bottom. And you know what? Everyone says, so when did you hit bottom? Well, you know what? You hit bottom when you start coming back up. Because I thought I hit bottom at least six or seven times. And every time I thought, the ground blew out from underneath me and I went down another level. It's only until your heart changes that God grabs you and starts to bring you back up. I put myself into AFM, that's the Alcoholics Addictions Foundation of Manitoba. Put myself in for 
28-day program. I was very upset to find out most people there had been back seven or eight or nine times. I didn't believe that. I believed that you only had one shot at this because I did not ever want to go back. But even in our brokenness, God can use us. That's the mystery of God. So there I am in one of my worst types of situations. Quickly, I was labeled as Reverend Rehab by everybody in there. I thought that meant I'd get beat up, but no. I had some respect. I had this one young man from Poland that we started a little Bible study with. He wanted God so bad, but he didn't know how to get God. And even though I explained it to him, and he was on the brink of taking his own life. And he said, John, I'm going to go out here today. And if I go out, I will not live past tomorrow. I need you to pray that I will not leave this building. Because being in an in-house place like AFM, you can leave. You can take a pass for two hours and go out. Um, it's not like it's a prison. But he knew that if he was going to go out, something would happen. So I sat with him and I prayed and I said, God, would you just send your angels? and make this person stay. Didn't see him for two days. And then I saw this guy, and he was just shaking like crazy. And I'm thinking, man, something's wrong with him. And he pulls me aside and says, John, i got to talk to you. And he said, I haven't had a cigarette in two days. And he says, every time I want to walk outside to get one, one of your big angels stops me at the door and pushes me back in. <laughs> Could you please tell them I'm just going for a smoke? I will come back. <laughs> And I thought, God, even in here, you're using us to reach people for you. What is it? And I know God's like, I'm after that man's heart. Because he wants to take his life, and his life belongs to me. So this man didn't leave. He stayed. I don't know where he is now. I don't have that control. But I pray that he's okay. I came out of AFM a different person. And you know what? You start hearing about the AA program and the 12 steps. You know, 12, the 12 steps is used for AA anything. Overeaters Anonymous, anger management, anything you do. But you know why? Because most of it works. And because of that, you realize it's God-focused. Over half of the AA 12 steps are completely devoted to God. They usually add another word or two on it to make it more politically correct for today's dates. But step two, you've come to believe that a power greater than yourself is the only way to restore you to sanity. Step three, made a decision to turn your will and your life over to the care of God. That's what they're starting to say is your solution. The pattern goes on. Step three, admitted to God and to ourselves the exact nature of our wrongs. That's admitting to sin. We're entirely, step six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all of these defects. Step seven, humbly asked God to remove our shortcomings. That's confession. Step 11, sought through prayer to improve our relationship with God, praying for knowledge 
of his will for us and the power to carry it out. Our God is a God of redemption. He's after our hearts. If you haven't heard me say this before, he's after our hearts. It's been just over 10 years now since I've had a drink. In the 10 years, God has renewed my relationship with him, my marriage, my family, and our ministry. We're back on track. We are aware we are supposed to have been many years ago. And you know, people will say, gee, well, maybe it was God that, you know, allowed you to become an alcoholic. No, I messed up. We have the power to sin. That dimmer switch went right down. It went right down to God was almost not even existent. But you know, the funny thing is, when you turn back to God, he doesn't slowly turn the dimmer switch back up. We take that dimmer switch and flick it on high, and that same power that started in our lives, the same power that rose Christ from the dead, the same power that, that saved you, the same power that healed Norm's sister, the same power that brought your families together, was instantaneously there accessible again. And that felt great. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm getting dry here. Gives me a chance to look at my notes. So this is the part where you say, wow, okay, so you came back to God and all these things are all better and you moved on and things are wonderful. Well, you know what? This might cross one of your lines of theology a little bit, but there's consequences to sin. Even though God has forgiven me, even though God has healed me, and even that's controversial because people say that you'll always be an alcoholic. Well, you know what? My mind is no longer an alcoholic's mind. My body is no longer an alcoholic's body. I don't live in the fear. I don't live in the dreams. I don't live when I walk past a bar or I walk past or smell something. You know, that doesn't trigger anything for me. But I can never drink again. I can never open myself up to that again because the body, mind, and the enemy knows that I'm one drink away from being right back there. But God, in his mercy, has given me the power not to do that. And again, it's my choice. I still have control of that dimmer switch, but I'd love to smash it to be fully open at all times. We talk about consequences. Not everybody has accepted the fact that I'm sober and good. There are some people that I've walked with. There's a couple back in the Yukon that for the last 10 years have been very bitter and very angry. And all the ministry that we did together, they have disqualified me because they said, if I could have done this as a Christian, I obviously wasn't a real Christian. And their lives have become bitter. And things started to happen in their lives that, blame, that they blame me for. And that has been painful. There are people that I will not be able to reach, but God can. Do you know that just a few weeks ago, I got a message from her that she was doing a devotion and God had completely 
swept into her life and exposed her and her husband's heart. And she realized that I was not to blame. She realized that I had gone through my own pain. And although she doesn't have to forget the pain that I caused, because I caused them pain, she's forgiven me. She desires to have a relationship with us. That's taken 10 years. But you know what? God doesn't have a statute of limitations on sin and time. He's after our hearts. Okay, second favorite scripture. And this is where I kind of close up and give a bit of a challenge. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. This is what I love. This shows me God's heart. If, big word, if. If my people who are called by my name, that means me, I call myself a Christian. So if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. To me, that's not a person before they were a Christian. To me, that's a person after they're a Christian that's fallen into sin. You may debate that, but that's how I have to see that scripture. If my people who call themselves by my name will humble, will give it all up, who won't care about the consequences, and pray, that's turning up the dimmer switch, and seek my face, part of the requirements of AA, to seek God and have a relationship with him, then I will hear from heaven, obviously our prayers go to heaven. And he says, and I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. We're not disqualified. Doris and I thought that we would never be able to do any good for the Lord. We don't know exactly what we're doing for the Lord, but he's doing it. And he's the one controlling all of us missionaries in everywhere we go. Therefore, but for the grace of God, go we. We said yes. We didn't know what we were really saying yes to, because that's God's decision. We've said yes to a broken heart. We said yes to understanding God's heart. And we've said yes to whatever we can do that will help God change somebody's heart. This month, August, you've called it Hospitality Month. You are welcome to our home. We have lots of room in Rasa. Come on. Supper's every night. There's a new flight that takes you directly from Montreal to Bucharest. Costs a couple of bucks. That's God's job if your hearts are there. You want to hold a baby? You want to make a difference? You want to just come and pray for us? Because, man, we need it each and every day. You don't have to be qualified for anything to come and do God's work somewhere else. And I'm not trying to bring you just to our ministry. Wherever God wants to work in your heart, go visit a missionary somewhere. 
It will change your heart. God will do. Quick story. We went to give um, the love of God to the downpour, the trodden, the, you know, the, the poorest of the poor. We're finding that on some of the teams that come over from Norway, we have a team from Jordan coming next week. They're not all Christians. We find out later on they've come and they've bumped into God so hard that they've gone back and gave their hearts to the Lord. He's after their hearts, not just the babies that are abandoned, not just the poor people in Romania. He's after everybody's heart. We're just along for the ride. We control the ride a little bit, but I'll try to keep the dimmer switch as high as possible. Okay, so my challenge to you is we need to walk in the light and share with one another. You may or may not be struggling with something. It doesn't have to be alcohol. That's a blanket statement. I'd love to be able to pray for anybody that would like prayer, not just for yourself, but for a loved one or for a friend. Because you know what? I get it. And some people, when it comes to addictions or anything, think that they get it. But you know what? I haven't suffered as some of you people have suffered. I haven't suffered a loss close in my life. I think I may know how you'd feel, but I don't. But in this area... I belong to the club. And I pray that none of you ever belong to that club. But if you do, you kind of get it too. Our minds don't work normally. And sometimes I don't think it still works today that normally. If you know someone who is struggling, what can you do? Number one thing is pray. Don't shut up. Don't give up until they give up. Just giving people scriptures, that's encouraging. But sometimes, as I mentioned before, to someone who's suffering, scriptures don't sound too encouraging. Give you an example. As a Christian, I knew the answer. The answer is Jesus. You know? Ta da! It's all better. Well, in my mind, that chasm is like Indiana Jones hitting the very end where he stops and that's a mile there and a mile deep and I'm going to die if I step off. I know the answer is Jesus, one step and it's good. And everyone told me so, right? It's okay, Jesus knows what you're going through. It's okay, it'll all be better. Oh, you'll look past this down the road and look back and laugh. <laughs> no, at that time, to me, that step was death until we take that step over. Then that step is life. So we can encourage people. And yes, you can encourage people with scriptures. But don't tell someone who's got a kidney stone, this too shall pass. <laughs> I think that Christian's eye is now back functioning again because I think I hit him so hard. <laughs> when you're going through something, you're going through something. And you need prayer. And you need God. Job's friends just sat and prayed at the end. They didn't do any good when they started talking to him. So my challenge to you is, if God is convicting you on something in your life, deal with it. Seek somebody out. Seek somebody who's got a like mind, who's walked through what you've walked through. They will understand. They'll be harder on you, but they'll understand if you know someone that's walking through something, pray for them. 
don't ever stop. And finally, and I'll close with this, never accept the enemy's voice that says, if you do that, you're disqualified. And second to that is try to watch yourself from telling somebody else or feeling that somebody else is disqualified. Someone may have really hurt you. Turn it over to the Lord. You don't have to let go of the pain all the time. Pains can sometimes be good. But do not disqualify someone that God has his hand on. It's all about their heart. And it's all about your heart.